and welcome to mini episode 51 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to say a massive happy birthday to the lovely Quinn in South Carolina. Happy birthday to you. Quinn also has the best cat name that I've heard in a long time. Her cat's name is Chandler Bing. (laughs) So this is a direct shout out to Chandler Bing too. Nice. And we have a promo this week. Our promo is the Rainbow Bridge Connection. Rainbow Bridge Connection is a podcast for anyone who has ever lost a companion animal and is looking for an outlet for their grief. They discuss personal experiences and listener experiences, as well as animal-related causes, businesses and non-profits. We know that there are lots of animal lovers who listen to this podcast, so if that sounds like it's up your street, then please make sure you go and give them a listen and subscribe to their podcast. Hello and welcome to Rainbow Bridge Connection podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's ever lost a companion animal and is looking for an outlet for the grief or an overall community. We will discuss our personal experiences, listeners' experiences, spiritual experiences with your companion animal, as well as their perspectives from animal-related causes, businesses, and nonprofits. If you've ever lost a companion animal, this podcast is for you. Follow us on our social medias, Facebook and Instagram, and you can listen to our podcast in any of the major podcasting apps. If you have an experience you'd like to share, please contact us at rainbowbridgeconnection21 at gmail.com. Thank you. And our first story today is an update from Amy about our good friend Doug. My fiancé and I are looking for a house at the moment and I've spent the last eight months or so trailing around the possible places and weighing up the pros and cons. Something we've had to be aware of for all of the houses is that because we live in rural West Wales now, a lot of the houses are old and they come with a lot of history. It turns out I'm very susceptible to things I don't understand and get some really weird experiences with some of the places. Fast forward to last week and we went for a fifth viewing at this house that we really love. It's beautiful. A Georgian building with sea views, properly tiled hallways and stained glass, fruit trees in the garden and plenty of room. It felt like home, and we were considering putting in an offer, so went the other day to do a last check before we did. The master bedroom looks out onto the sea through a big bay window, and I'm obsessed with that room and was stood looking out for ages while my partner was in the garden investigating the rabbit infestation. I turned around to look at the coving, and saw an elderly lady in a lemon sweater sitting on the bed and smiling at me. The vendor was out, the estate agent was downstairs, and my partner was outside. The lady hadn't been there before. I turned back to the window, and when I looked again, she was gone. I made my way down the hallway, down the stairs, and saw someone stood there that I thought was my partner. It wasn't. It was Doug. Doug, who had lived in my childhood home, was stood in the hallway of this new house. I hadn't seen him for almost a year since I left that house, and he was just there, looking at me, in the same fatherly way he always had. I thought I might have been seeing things, so I ignored it and carried on, and looked around the rest of the house with my boyfriend. Doug followed us a little behind all the way, and I didn't say anything to anyone. Afterwards, my partner complained of feeling really, really cold the whole time, when in fact the house was quite stuffy because of the sun coming through. Doug stayed on the doorstep as we left the house, 
We're going back to view it again next week and I don't know if I'll see him again. I don't know why he was there to start with. I don't know if there's some kind of ghost megabus that he got on and travelled across Wales to find me. I just don't know. My partner is an optometrist, so he's still working in the midst of the crisis. I'm working from home, so when he left yesterday morning I decided to have a little lie-in seeing as he's such a chatty sleeper and I don't usually get much sleep at night. So he left early, and I burrowed down like a slug and put my sleep mask on. It took me a while to settle, as there's been a family incident the past few days with my baby niece being unwell, so I've been really worried and unsettled, and I couldn't quite nod off because I was overthinking. I was just starting to fall asleep when I felt a weight on the bed. I assumed it was my cat, Spooky, as he often sleeps on my feet, but it felt too heavy. In my sleepy state, I kind of concluded that it wasn't anything to worry about, as Spooky has a little girlfriend from down the road called Maud, who often visits and sits with him and they have dreamy dates together, so I thought maybe it was just the two of them snuggled up on the bed. After a while, I wondered what was going on, as there was no fussing or licking sounds like there usually is from cats. So I brought my mask up to have a look. There were no cats. Doug was sat on the end of the bed, just calmly staring into space. He didn't seem to notice my noticing him, so I reached down to the floor beside my bed to pick up my phone to try and take a photo to prove I wasn't just sleep-deprived and seeing things. On my phone was six missed calls from my mum, which made me panic more than seeing Doug ever would, as it meant that something was wrong. I called her back, forgetting about Doug, and she told me that my niece was still unwell, that last night my primary school teacher had passed away from the virus, and that this morning a close family friend had also passed away from the virus. I was shaken and burst into tears. The epidemic has been playing havoc with my anxiety, and all this bad news is causing me so much struggle. While I was crying, I noticed Doug slowly and calmly move his hand and just lay gently on my knee, and I instantly felt comfort at his presence. It was like he knew I was going to get bad news, and had made his way there to comfort me. After getting my tears out, I dragged myself into the shower to try and clean myself up before my partner came home. Spooky came in just as I was, hissing and thrashing his tail at the sight of Doug, who had moved to sit in the living room while I showered. The cat was not happy. He wouldn't move from me and stood guard in front of my feet wherever I went. He even insisted on coming in the shower with me, despite his hatred for water, and sat in the corner of the tray staring at the closed door on edge the entire time. The day continued very much like this, and I sat in the bedroom with the cat guarding me like he was some kind of giant Rottweiler, and Doug sat in the living room, as though trying to give Spooky some distance. Around half an hour before my partner was due home, still feeling down and shaken, I went to put the kettle on and make him a cup of tea for when he got in. Doug was still on the sofa. Then Spooky made the noise he only ever makes when there's another male cat outside. I turned abruptly, and I thought the neighbouring cat had come in as he and Spooky always end up fighting. He hadn't. At about ten minutes before my partner came in, Doug got up and walked into the bedroom. When I followed him, he had disappeared, and all that was left was the weirdly specific smell of cinnamon apple candles that my mum would always burn in my childhood home. The cat relaxed instantly and went to eat some dreamies and my partner came home. It was like Doug had wanted to make sure I wasn't alone all day when I was so low, but when he knew that someone else was going to be there, he finished his shift and left. I haven't seen him all day today, but this morning my partner told me he had a dream about a man that was stood over me in the bed. A man with a moustache, 
and early 20th century dress. He said he was menacing, he seemed parental, and that in the dream the man told him not to worry, his name was Doug, and that he was here to take care of me. He continued to tell me that he'd seen the man in my parents' old house too, and asked if I'd ever seen him or had the same dream because it felt so real. I told him all about Doug then, finally admitting, and he was really freaked out. But I still don't think Doug has any ill intent towards me. If anything, I think he's taken it as his job to protect me, but even now at 22 I still find it weird that he just pops up, especially when I thought he was attached to the old house. I've never really known a story of a spirit that follows a person before, except perhaps Freddy, but we don't know what he is. I'll let you know if he pops up again, but to be honest, I doubt it'll be that exciting. At least the cat's recovered now and gone back to sleeping all the time. And how cool is this story? That Doug is back, looking out for Amy, different location, still, Amy's grown up, left the house, and he still wants to be there when things are tough for her and I don't think her fellow has anything to worry about because he doesn't try to push him down the stairs so that's obviously a sign that Doug likes him. Doug approves that's the main thing Doug approves of her boyfriend so he doesn't try and grievously injure him. (laughs) Nice one Doug. I mean it is like we had so many messages of agreement being like that was such a nice story and it was like a Disney story. Also Amy if you are listening to this if you have any of the original Doug pictures I've had lots of messages from people saying did she keep the pictures can she please post them so if you're listening and you do have the original Doug pictures please send them my way if you can. I also need to see them because I currently have a very strong picture of Doug that looks like Captain Birdseye, which is pretty much probably not what he looks like. Not a bad shout though, being like Captain Birdseye. I mean, it does sound, it sounds really like Doug is there in your time of need. And that's quite a nice thing really, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like he's literally the most supportive ghost ever. And as scary as I, it would be seeing him the first time. I think when you get used to him, actually, it's probably quite a comfort for Amy. Can you imagine though if the next time Amy gave us an update she was like it's all gone wrong it's all gone wrong he's been setting stuff on fire all the stuff in my house has been smashed Doug isn't the good guy we thought he was. Oh I hope that not. I really don't want to wish that on you Amy I'm sorry. (laughs) And our second story today comes from Tori. The first story I would like to share starts when I was four years old. It has been burned into my memory ever since. I used to live in southern Georgia, and we had just moved to North Augusta in South Carolina. My dad and my mom both had jobs in finance, so they were gone most of the day. I don't really recall my routine when I was that young, but this is just for some background. The house that we moved into was very oddly built. Now because I was so young, No one in my house wanted to believe me when I said that I started to see things. I don't know how early I started seeing the entities I'm about to describe, but here it goes. I became terrified to go down that square hallway. At times, there would be three huge timber wolves, almost like dire wolves. I can't explain how big they were, they were absolutely massive. They stood one in the front and two at the leader's flanks. The biggest one in the middle was the one I remember looking at directly. He had these large, bright red eyes. 
he would just stare at me and give me the most menacing grin that put fear in me that I'd never felt before. They would pace in a pack back and forth and their eyes never leaving mine, their smiles never fading. I would like to mention that as I'm writing this sentence, a picture just fell off my wall and shattered. So anyway, I could not pass them to get to my room and I couldn't move. I don't remember my reaction, but these sightings were a regular occurrence so I guess I got used to it. I could not be in my room alone because the wolves would stand in the square hallway and block my exit. I told my parents, and of course who wants to believe a four-year-old who tells them some crazy shit like this? But I wouldn't have to do much more explaining to convince them. We got a rescue dog, and for a while she was fine. But after the sightings it was like she was possessed. She started to bite people and refused to go in the hallway, so much so that she would become vicious if you made her go down the stairs. That was the first time my parents ever had to return a dog that we had rescued. I was so sad, but that dog had become so terrified she could not be in our house anymore. I hope wherever she went that she loved it. We got another dog, but it was given to us, and ended up being my best friend for the next ten years. He didn't like to go downstairs either, but he did it for me. You couldn't catch him down there alone. Me and that dog would go outside to the backyard, but there were shards of glass everywhere, So that prompted my parents to look up the history of the house. And there was an explosion and a fire. We don't know much more than that, but apparently the windows were busted out and that's why all the glass was still in the yard. The house was remodelled, so we couldn't tell that it had been through that kind of trauma physically. But what happened next just made all the more sense. I began to have vivid dreams and vivid nightmares. And I started sleepwalking. I would sleepwalk up two flights of stairs and remain the rest of the night standing outside of my parents' bedroom. I never sleepwalked before and I haven't done it since. One night I was waiting for my dad to get home and I was looking out of our front screen door. You know the ones with the option to open the little window. I was looking and I had my hands out like holding the edge of the door and suddenly the window portion of the screen door came down on my finger so hard that I couldn't get my hands out. I called for my mom and she came to help and we just had to pull my fingers out because the window wouldn't move. It scraped the meat off the tops of my fingers and I had to bandage my hands. What's important to know is that we could never get that window to close since we had moved in. My dad had tried with all of his might to pull it down but it wouldn't move. So somehow, all of a sudden, while I was alone at the door waiting for my dad to come home from work, this window got a mind of its own and slammed down on my fingers never to reopen again. The next thing that made my parents start to believe me was Pikachu. I had a Pikachu toy that was motion censored and it started to go off in my room all the time for no reason. So naturally I was terrified of it. I told my parents and they wanted to see if I was right. So they put it in the kitchen to test it out. Well sure enough it started going off with no visible person there. So dad took the batteries out because surely it was some sort of electrical fold. But it still went off. My parents drove it to the dumpster to throw it away and we moved out soon after that. My parents looked up to see what it meant when you saw ghost wolves and they said that they found out it was a poltergeist. That was in 1999 so I'm not sure what the internet was like then but when I look it up now all I can find is that sometimes spirit animals show themselves and it is linked to Native American beliefs. But I didn't feel safe around these wolves so it was hard for me to believe there were some sort of protectors. But sometimes I think maybe it is true and they were there to protect me from whatever possessed my dog and slammed my fingers in the door. 
If you guys have heard of anything like this, I would love to know what the wolves could have been or what they symbolised. As a fun side note, I didn't know how to say dreams, so I told my mom about the secrets that my eyes told me. <laughs> Man, I cannot even deal with the idea of these entities that are like direwolf-sized wolves with smiling faces and red eyes and as much as it would be nice to think that they're there for protection that just sounds horrifying it's like the most misjudged sympathy in the world isn't it it's like they're trying to smile to be reassuring but they've taken on the most terrifying form possible (laughs) like uncanny valley they just can't quite get it right (laughs) they're like what do humans like smiling faces on wolves well, that'll it's, work it's, it's, it's like they've it's like they've gone well humans like dogs and smiley faces so if we just put smiley faces on dogs and make them bigger because big things are normally better I'm sure it'll be fine and the thing about this as well is I understand the parents dismissing a child of like four or five years old saying there's wolves in the corridor because it's not like she's saying there's an old man who I see at night time or an old woman which is more traditional when you think of a haunting but then your child saying I'm seeing wolves you'd be like oh that's just your imagination don't be silly I don't even like I, I would really love if anybody has any experiences of something like seeing wolf entities please let us know it's very uncommon I think that's what makes it so interesting as well and I was just I've been thinking about like how you would react as a parent to some of this stuff and I I have no idea because my gut reaction is to take it all at face value and be really scared of it. And I just don't think that's very good at calming down a scared child. But I also wonder as well, you know, just dismissing them. What does that do either? Like, do you just say, no, that's not real. It's all your imagination or stop making it up. Is that as helpful? I don't know. That's that's I'm just musing about it because I'm not a parent. So I don't know. Probably not in that tone, but I'm sure if you were if you were to speak it out slowly and calmly and, and explain it sometimes our mind could create things in the dark or something like that and it's nothing to worry about mom and dad are down the hall you know whatever you need to say don't come and get us if you see anything creepy at night time <laughs> and our third story today comes from rose i have some stories based in north norfolk where my mum's family are from and where i partially grew up the first story though was based in north yorkshire and is only a little one So last year in 2019, I was kicked out of my house due to problems with my parents which are resolved now. I went to go and stay with my friends, who lived in a converted pub with several other people. I had heard my friend talk about her ghost that followed her around, from house to house, with a sense of bewildered amusement. I was not sure I believed her, but I listened anyway, because she's a very spiritual person and I wanted to believe her. She recounted to me that in her old house she would hear footsteps going up the stairs and back down. Things would be moved around and curtains would be pulled. One night she said that the ghost activity changed and it started running full pelt up the stairs and across the landing and she felt the presence of it enter her room. She calmly told it that she had work in the morning and to leave her alone and apparently it did because the presence left. Just as I agreed to stay with her, she then said the ghost had moved with her to the place where we were in, and that it liked moving the blinds up and down. I just thought, okay, sure, whatever, and went to bed. In the morning, my friend was up and about, and she asked me if I was okay. She was acting rather strange. Apparently, through the night, she moved to watch TV because she couldn't sleep. 
and she heard knocking on the wall and loud bangs and then she heard the shower turn on and had to come back in and turn it off again where she quietly told the ghost to pack it in. It did. I went cold when she told me all of this because I had slept through it utterly oblivious. After this, it left and my friend never felt or saw it do anything again. I was going through a rough patch at the time and she thinks the negative energy from me must have made it leave. She could very well be making it up, but who knows. The next story is set in Walsingham, in North Norfolk, and it involves the same being or ghost in two separate stories, where my mum and brother saw the ghost about 40 years apart. When my mum was about four or five, she remembers being very ill with scarlet fever for several weeks. One night, my grandma came into the room to check on her, and she asked if she could tell the old lady in the corner to leave. Of course, there was no old lady in the corner, and my grandma dismissed it as fever. My mum does not remember this, but my grandma did very clearly. Fast forward to 1998. My brother was five years old and very ill with German measles, and in the same bedroom where my mum had recovered. My mum went in to check on him, and he said, Can you tell grandma to go downstairs? I really want to sleep. My mum was confused and replied that grandma was downstairs with grandad. And he replied, but there's an old lady in the corner knitting and pointed to a corner of the room. My brother later remembered a lady dressed in an old shawl getting up after he said that and moving through the wardrobe and through the wall into the next house over. My mum mentioned this to my grandma who stated that it is Miss Happy Wright who lived in the house before they moved in. Back then, the house and the house next door were joined and there was a passageway where my brother saw the ghost move through. She had a rocking chair right where Joe pointed and had died in it with her feet in a bowl of warm water. My grandma remembered because she'd lived in the village her whole life. Mrs. Happy Wright loved children and was a very kind soul, which possibly explains why there are never any feelings of terror when my mum and brother saw her. She was just looking after the children while they were sick. I grew up in the same house, and in the bedroom where my mum saw the old lady, there was definitely a presence. We sold the house in 2015, and I could not stay in the same bedroom without getting very creeped out up until the age of 21. My brother felt it too when he was younger, but he grew out of it. But now he definitely agrees that it had an atmosphere. It had one of those creaky floors and rattly windows. Further up the road, my uncle had a farm where there were lots of strange goings-on that happened before my time. The house was a massive, poorly built farmhouse that was built in the late 1800s, situated on Gallows Hill, where in medieval times they used to hang the criminals and also bury them close by. God knows why you would build a farmhouse near there, but that's where it was. Nothing happened until the late 1940s when a new barn was built, apparently disturbing the earth and setting off some very strange goings-on. My great-grandma was in a wheelchair with very little mobility, and lived in this house, and she was plagued by unexpected happenings to which she could not run from. Footsteps on the gravel drive, and when she looked there would be nobody there. People appearing on the driveway and then disappearing, people turning up in Victorian dress and then fading away, windows slamming and things being moved. The menfolk of the family would come off the fields and find her shaken and upset. As this was a long time ago, I do not know the specific details, as it has been passed through the family. However, I do know that worse than my grandparents' house, the farm had the most oppressive atmosphere I've ever felt in my life. 
It point-blank terrified me to be left alone there, and I would be reduced to screaming and crying if I was. I was only very young, but that feeling, as well as memories of the huge dark fir trees and rambling gardens, have stayed with me. So that first story, the one that took place in Yorkshire, is really interesting because we always talk about energies and negative energies and, and what they stir up. And it was interesting that her friend took the approach that it was her staying there in this sort of bad frame of mind that sort of stirred up all this activity, which is really interesting. Yeah, and it also freaks me out that all this stuff could happen at night time when you just don't know what's going on. Like that is quite scary as well. I mean, it's, but it's like that age old thing, whether a tree makes any noise if it falls on an empty forest and no one hears it. Does it really matter if all that stuff goes on and you don't, you're not aware of it? That's a very good point. I mean, it only scared this person because her friend told her about it. Every time anybody makes that analogy about a tree falling in the forest, I just am immediately transported to the Simpsons episode where <laughs> Bart's trying to get really good at uh, mini, is what's called mini, mini golf, mini putt, mini, yeah. Sorry, yeah. That. sorry that's just, you know, brief segue there into the world of the Simpsons. <laughs> sorry for ruining the episode. <laughs> and then obviously Walsingham, I know well. As a railway, so my brother and dad know it well. Um, <laughs> the generational ghost is proper interesting because I feel like, you know, one person in the throes of fever hallucinating something could be dismissed. But the same thing happening 40 years later is proof. <laughs> I did read something somewhere, maybe it was on the supergroup or something, about how when we see ghosts and stuff walking through walls, it's because the literal physical layout of the building has changed over the years and they're recounting steps in an old version of the building. Yeah, it's funny you should say that as well because uh, it was the lady, wasn't it, who lived in the house. So maybe it's a slightly, like you said, it's a slightly different layout for her and so she was able to just move on. Well, yeah, that was what the grandmother said, wasn't yeah. it? It used to be two houses stuck, like the two houses were one house yeah. back in the day. And I think there's... There's a lot to be said about building a house somewhere where great tragedy has happened and places like Gallows Hills, which lots of towns and villages all over the world had at various points in history, they would have been places of such, such strong emotions, whether it was anger from the crowd that would go and see or like that feverish weirdness Mm. of excitement of watching somebody hanging and then the fear, the absolute trauma of knowing that you are going to Gallows Hill to die. Like that has to leave something behind. Well, I grew up in a town that decided to build a major roundabout and flyover on the location of the old gallows. And let me tell you, the rage and the anger and the frenzy carries on. (laughs) Nothing to do with the roundabout (laughs) and road rage. It's all the gallows. Absolutely. It's all down to where it was built. (laughs) And if you enjoyed this week's episode, you can find everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can send your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you can get access to heaps of extra content. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.